Hello and welcome to Immigrantly. I'm your host Sadia Khan. Today's episode is going to be a little different than our usual format as I won't be having a guest on the show. Instead, in today's minisode, I want to focus on America's immigration history in the context of family separation. So now you may be thinking, why am I talking about this almost a year after launching Immigrantly? I could have started my podcast with the conversation around America's immigration policy and history of immigration policies in America. And yes, you're probably right. But I think a year into my podcast, I have talked to so many new people and have met so many new perspectives. I feel far more confident to delve into this topic now and a recent conversation of one of my previous interns with an Uber driver, Amadu, and we will talk about Amadu later in the show, triggered my interest in tackling the issue of family separation in a more holistic way, if that makes sense. I want to also get rid of this idea that family separation is something new. As if children have not been separated from their families time and again over the course of America's history. In each of these instances, we will explore today, people of color, often children, were violently separated in order to fulfill some economic and political agenda. I'm going to be ending today's episode with a short anecdote from Amadu. Now, Amadu tells a very compelling story that exemplifies the trauma and pain that is caused by the forced deportation of undocumented immigrants, especially when those people are the sole supporters of their families. So let's get started. We will start with the history of New Year's Day in America. And I bring this up because we all recently celebrated the New Year. Before President Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation on January 1st, 1863, New Year's Day was called Hiring Day. I did not know this before doing this episode and it came to me as a shock and a surprise that the first day of the new year marked a day that families were to be separated. Slaves waited anxiously to learn where they would be auctioned and whether their children or their parents would be sent away. The separation of these families shows the ways that slaves were dehumanized and abused both physically and emotionally just so that slave owners could really settle debts or make more money. I mean, sure, it's true that this practice was not carried out by the government the way that today's policies are, but the government's implied approval of the slave economy is very similar to what's happening today. Even today, we see that the U.S. government is relentlessly pursuing these xenophobic immigration policies that have the unfortunate byproduct of separating families. Now, separations during the era of slavery was not limited to hiring day practices. 
In the 1500s, the transatlantic slave trade first hit the shores of Americas after the Americas were first discovered by the Europeans and obviously at the time, demand for labor grew. So even though United States stopped participating in the international slave trade in 1808, families were still being separated at auction until slavery was outlawed by Congress in 1865. So when we hear our leaders today say things like family separation is not emblematic of who we are as a country, as Senator Dianne Feinstein of California, um, she tweeted in 2018, I think we can see that it's not exactly true. It seems that actually America's identity as a nation was built on this very practice from before the Declaration of Independence was even signed. Here is Senator Dianne Feinstein talking about family separation and what's happening at the border. Senator Dianne Feinstein is a Democrat from California, ranking member of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Senator, you have a bill that would, quote, take care of it. What's your reaction to the president's uh, words today? Big crocodile tears. There's no bill that uh, that merits this, that orders this. It's his order. He can stop it in a minute if he chooses to do so. And I guess that's one of the things that annoys me the most. You have nearly 2,500 children that have been separated from their families, from their mother, and no one knows where they are. I think it's just terrible. It's very upsetting, and it's never happened before. So this is one instance. There's another instance of family separation that we need to talk about. And this is the forced separation of Native American families. Now, from the beginning of colonial settlement in the Americas, indigenous populations were considered threats to the prosperity of the New World colonists. And later, American presidents repeatedly undertook policies that fell along the principles of divide and conquer. If they could separate indigenous people from their land and from their communities, Native Americans would not pose a threat to America's nationhood. That was the premise. The most memorable example of this was the result of the Indian Removal Act of 1830, when some 60,000 Native Americans were forced to relocate west of the Mississippi River. Thousands of lives were lost during this forced relocation, which has recently also been called a genocide. Native Americans were forced to give up their land to make room for white families as America continued to expand. Later in the 1870s, children were removed from their families and reservations and sent to Indian residential schools such as the Carlisle Indian Industrial School, whose motto, by the way, was literally kill the Indian, save the man. At these boarding schools, Native American children were forced to assimilate. Their hair was cut and their names were changed. And these children were forced to practice Christianity, which I think is incredibly ironic given America's promise of freedom of religion. These kids were isolated from their culture and many of them never saw their families again, which to me, I have family, I have two kids. This is so devastating. 
and it was not until 1978 only 42 years ago that native american parents were finally given the legal right to deny their children's placement in these crazy schools native american adults literally did not have the legal autonomy in the eyes of law to keep their children in their homes until congress was forced and i emphasize forced to reckon with the harm that was perpetuated by these schools through civic action so basically 200 years into our nation's founding and native americans were only just being given the basic right to retain their families and communities in the 1900s immigration policy reoriented towards individuals from guess where Latin America during the Great Depression almost 2 million Mexican Americans approximately half of which were American citizens were affected by this wave of mass deportations the rhetoric then was not all that different from what we hear today Mexican Americans both permanent and undocumented residents and even citizens were scapegoated and blamed for the economic hardships that came about from the depression And honestly this seems all too familiar to me. It sounds exactly like the rhetoric we hear today that politicians use to justify deporting millions of people even today. And do we really think that family separation did not exist in today's world before Donald Trump came along? I know all of this sounds so serious and so heavy, but I really strongly believe that it's time to look back at our history. We have to look back and we have to reconcile with it. I've said this many times and I will continue to say that we have to reconcile with our history to move forward and hopefully not repeat mistakes that were carried out in the past. And here I want to talk about something else. that we seldom talk about in political discourse we don't hear it on tv in media and that is about mass incarceration and the disproportionate effect it has had on black and latinx families now this crisis has reached epidemic proportions and we know this there have been numerous documentaries about this and activists have been discussing it for such a long time by the way many of the individuals who are incarcerated are not there because they have been convicted of a crime and i'll say it again they have not been convicted of a crime but rather because they cannot afford cash bail and let me say this again a rising number of inmates in america are not there because they are convicted of a crime but rather because they could not afford cash bail so let's talk for a minute about the kind of impact this has on individuals and their families because when these adults are pulled out of their families and communities for longer and longer periods of time their rights as citizens are restricted we all know that they are removed from the cycle of economy and their children and spouses are left to their own means of however they can support themselves with almost no external support systems to rely on mass incarceration has many harmful effects 
But with our focus on mistreatment of inmates, we often forget to think about those that they are leaving behind in the outside world. And now to this administration's immigration policies. So on May 7th, 2018, then Attorney General Jeff Sessions announced a renewal of the Trump administration's commitment to zero tolerance policy, basically criminalizing the illegal crossing of the border. Now, any individual found crossing the border illegally would be immediately referred to the Department of Justice for prosecution and individuals were not to be held in immigration detention. Instead, they were referred for criminal prosecution. And this was the key difference that led to the exponential increase in the number of kids separated from their parents. Border crossers were required to wait until they were brought before a federal judge not an immigration judge. So when these adults were convicted and imprisoned, their children were taken away and detained by ICE. While the Trump administration has since then overturned this policy under pressure of a court order, hundreds of children still remain in shelters. And we see that on TV and in the news almost every day. And many families have continued to be separated due to different loopholes in the court order that led to the executive order. When all of this came out in 2018, it forced many Americans like myself to reckon with the harm that was being inflicted on children and families in a way that we hadn't seen before. And honestly, it's sad to say this, but when stories about detention centers and harsh immigration policies are told about adults and older teens, Americans somehow tend to be, how do I say this, less empathetic? And these stories enter and exit the political news cycle extremely quickly. Prior to reports of children being detained and held in 2018, many Americans had never really seen firsthand the trauma that is caused by the detention of migrants. It's sad that it took the lives of more than 2,000 displaced children for America to see that we have a problem at our hands. And this brings me back to our story from Omadu. Now, not too long ago, my previous intern, Christina, was Ubering from JFK. She was going home from JFK, always on the lookout for individuals with stories to tell. Now, Christina struck up conversation with her Uber driver, Amadu, who immigrated to America from West Africa some 25 years ago. But the story he told was not about him. It was about his friend a man who had immigrated to the U.S. from Guinea. Listen to Amadu tell this story. I know guy from Guinea. Mm-hmm. He got seven kids born in this country. Uh-huh. Everybody is young children, young. Yeah. Because maybe the older, maybe 13 years. Okay. Okay? When Donald Trump coming, 
he been here a long time ago. Mm -hmm. He no got pepper. Yeah. Okay? Uh. He got seven kids, entire family, only himself who no have pepper. They come, they take him, they put him, put him in jail. Uh. For two months, they take him back home. Wow. You tell me you help American people? So Madhu's friend had been living here with his wife and seven children. They've been living here for a while and all of his children were born in America. Of his family, Madhu's friend is the only person without official documents and he was the only one that was basically undocumented. So when President Donald Trump was inaugurated in 2017, Amadou's friend was imprisoned for two months and was then deported to Guinea. Now leaving his family completely empty-handed, for obviously they could no longer rely on their father's income, his children were American, but Amadou asks the government that is it really helping its citizen? Take a listen. No, seven kids, you take your dad home, yeah. is daddy buying clothes, daddy buying paying rent, daddy buying food, yeah. now you leave me right here with empty hand, who gonna help with that kids? Yeah. And you gonna say you help us? Mm. That sucks. Yeah. That sucks. So what Amadu is saying is how is the government helping Americans when these American children can no longer rely on their father and his support? How can the government say that it is there for the American people when in reality it seems to have no issue with deporting parents of children who are American citizens, who are then left to be raised by single parents, or in many instances are placed into foster care. This man helping here. Exactly, yeah. yeah. This man helping here, mm. supporting American people. Yeah. These children born here, why they standing up to say they're American because they're born here, right? Mm. Right? Yeah. So if it's somebody supporting somebody born here, that means you support American. American, yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. So this man supporting American mm. because he he handling kids, saving kids born in America, buying clothes for them, buying working hard to feed them, right. pay rent for them, that's help. Right. What Amadu tells is an all-too-familiar story about a family that is separated across borders and oceans. But remember, it's not a new story, and it is not a unique story. And each day, the problem only continues to grow. So what can we do? Well, you can support organizations like RISES, which Immigrantly has donated to before. RISES provides legal aid to immigrant children and families and is at the forefront of the effort to unite these families. You can also stay informed by following a diverse array of publications that are doing some really good reporting on the conditions in the detainment centers and the ongoing immigration crisis, such as ProPublica and the New York Times. 
and finally you can support podcasts like immigrantly which work to disrupt existing narratives about who immigrants are what they stand for and smash the stereotypes that prevent immigrants from being seen as normal people just like anyone else you can follow us on twitter at immigrantly_pod and instagram at immigrantly_pod and do support our patreon the link is in our show notes along with the sources that were cited in the making of this episode special thanks to amadu christina's uber driver who generously allowed us to record him for the podcast this episode was written and produced by me sadia khan and by sadia naim sadia was my intern this past summer she's currently a senior at wesleyan university and will be graduating this spring with a major in government and a minor in chemistry you can find her on twitter at sadia naim 23 thank you so much for listening until next time when we have another incredible story in the meantime stay connected <laughs>